0: How's everyone going today? That's great. I'm really excited to be sharing around the Word this morning, and I hope you are excited to hear it. How good is it to be part of a a local church, yeah, where you have a church family? Come on, why don't you give it up for yourself? Right on, right on. Um, I'm going to jump straight into it because I've got a little bit of ground to cover, but I'm really excited to be able to speak from the Word of God. On Friday night, we, um, Young Zeal talked about the Word of God. And we talked about just how it's not just like a book, but it's actually the living Word of God. Yeah, that's right. Timothy says that the scripture is God-breathed. Yeah. That word is made up of two different words. Words that literally mean theos, which means God. And neuhop, which means breath. breath. like living, Oh, hello. Living breath. <laughs> Spirit, and so the word is the physical manifestation of God's constant breath. Yeah, it's awesome. And so we actually get to open that, and we figured out on Friday thank you, my dude. We figured out on Friday the fact that the word isn't just this lifeless portrait on a wall somewhere, but it's actually a window into another realm. Yeah. It's an opportunity for us to step out of our current state and into a new realm, a, a realer. Realm and more true realm, and so I want us to really make sure that when we're coming together as a church, and we already do this, I'm not saying we don't, but that we really like the word of God is something that can actually change us, it actually works in us and moves through us. And so I'm excited to actually open this window with you all this morning. I'm going to speak uh, primarily from three verses in the book of Luke. Come on, young seal, help me out here. The book of Luke. Chapter 5, in verses 1 to 3, says this, and you can follow along. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The title of the message this morning is this, at the water's edge. At the water's edge. Can we pray really quickly? Let's close our eyes because we're going to need Jesus' help this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are here. Lord, that you are here. Your Holy Spirit is in us. Your Holy Spirit is moving through us. And your word is here. So Father, I pray that to, uh, today that as we open your word, that we would leave here better people. Lord, not better in our own works, but better because of you. Better because we caught a glimpse of you and what you want to do. Yeah. So help us this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. "Cool. Yeah. You all said, "Amen. That's okay." At the water's edge. I want to summarize this story. What's this happening here? Peter, Simon, he's also known, known as Peter. Peter is a fisherman. He's just spent his whole shift and overnighter on the lake. And he's fishing and fishing and fishing. And now the mornings come. They would normally do the fishing, you know, in the early morning. Like, and so the, his shift is over. And now he's on the beach cleaning his nets, repairing his nets. He's packing up shop. He's turned the clothes sign on. He's cleaning the windows, he's cleaning his nets, and he is ready to go home. Anyone understand that feeling? Like shifts over, I'm ready to go home. And so he's packing up shop, you know, maybe he's got somewhere to go. Maybe he's got, you know, um, a prayer meeting on that night, or maybe he's got a family dinner or something like that. He's got somewhere to go, someone to be, uh, someone to meet, and he's got to be somewhere and he's cleaning his nets. He's just doing what he's doing. But in the background, right? Go with me. He can hear Jesus teaching, trying to speak to a crowd of people. He can see Jesus and sort of hear. He's not really focused on Jesus because he's just trying to get his shift done and get home to his family and do, and do the, the rest of the evening routine. Maybe he's got a three-week-year-old and he's got to, you know, <laughs> relieve mum. You know, so like, I don't think he did, but that's okay. Um, you know, he's, he can sort of hear Jesus over there teaching crowds, he's not really listening, he's not really focused on what Jesus is doing, he's just trying to go home. But then all of a sudden, before you know it, Peter looks around and he sees Jesus now just standing in his boat. Rude, am I right? <laughs> like that's rude. You go out to the car park after church. You get out there, and like the person two rows back from you is just sitting in your car, just like hi. Like rude. That's rude. And Jesus, he just looks around, and he just sees Jesus in his boat. He's so focused on his work that he doesn't even notice Jesus jumping in his boat, and he's just staring at. It, and they're just having a staring competition. He's just like huh? and she's like hmm. Huh? Peter's like hmm. Huh? She's like mm-hmm. <laughs> like that there's this thing, there's moment happening and he jumps up. He's like, oh, what's this joker doing? <laughs> like, who's this guy on my boat? So he's like, he sort of knows Jesus by this point. He's probably met him once or twice. He's seen him around. So he knows who Jesus is. He knows he's a, a teacher and, you know, the crowds seem to like him and that's good. But I've just got my fishing, my shift to do here. So he's, um, he, he, he sort of knows Jesus. So I'm like, oh, let's go see what Jesus' old, old mate wants. So he walks over to Jesus. And, and before you know it, Jesus asks him, hey, would you push me out? Can can you open up shop again? Can you jump back in the boat and get wet again? I know you just got cleaned up and you're back on the beach and you're ready to go. But could you just jump back in the water, push me out again? Because I want to speak to the crowds. What do you think is going through Peter's mind right now? Really? <laughs> really? Oh! Anyone have any moments like that? I don't, no, no. I work in hospital. Anyone here ever worked in retail or hospitality at any point in your life? You work with people, you've got a shop, you've got closing hours, and you wish people would just look at the closing hours and realise they're closed, or even better, they're almost closed. So the other day I was working, I work in a coffee shop, and I'm making coffees, and I'm waiting for the time to end. It's 4.30. And it gets to 4.25, right? And by this point, I, can I educate you for a second? All you non-baristas out there, can I just educate you? Yes, the sign says 4.30. Yes, I'm legally obligated to make you whatever you want. But know that I hate you. Amen. Know that all baristas hate you. And, and, and so it's 4.25 and I've got everything done. The chairs are in. You know, the signs are in. Almost the entire shop is cleaned and wiped down to perfection. My napkins for tomorrow, my cloths are folded up perfectly, ready to go in the morning. I'm cleaning my nets, right? I'm just getting things done. All I've got left is just one milk jug with the thermometer and one um, part of the coffee machine just in case that loser comes in. And so I'm there and I'm waiting down and the one door is already closed. There's just one open, just to be nice, just a respectful look. I understand if you want one, you can come in, but I'm expecting you not to. Anyway, someone comes in and I'm there. (sighs) What can I get for you? (laughs) And as a mom, kids from school, kids start running a muck through the shop. I'm like... "Mm -hmm." I want baby chinos, the worst thing created. Latte. And not only that, but the older one wants a, something with the frappe. So that's another area dirty. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. Literally, it wasn't a blasphemy, I was a prayer. I'm like, please smite this person. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, I'm serving this lady and then, you know, I give it to her and the kids are running amok and I put it down and, and then I just lose it. Like I lose it, i like to. Here's your coffee. And I just put it down. The lid pops off and the coffee pours out. It's a long bar. And so it pours out over the counter onto one of the kids. The kids start screaming and the ladies angry. on. they like, get out of my shop right now. And then I like kick them out and close the door and I lock it. And then I'm like, ah, giving them the... And then, and then like I snapped out of my imagination. And I said, like, yes, no worries. That'll be $5.20. Ching. And I make them the coffee and they go home. But, but that moment of like, really? Like, I'm about to go and and, and go home and do my own thing. And now you come along and want to do something with me? And I wonder what Peter felt like in this moment. Really? I had it all sorted. I was ready to go. And here comes Jesus. Frustration. Frustration. A lot of people think frustration and faith are mutually exclusive. That if you're frustrated, you can't have faith. Please know, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me, to you. That frustration and faith, they they, they often go together. They're neighbours. But here's the thing. It's what you do in the moment of frustration and how you react in faith will cause you to lead yourself to where the fish are. Later on in the story, Peter might be frustrated, but he answers with faith. And later on in the story, he hauls in a huge thing of fish, more than he had caught all the night before. Even so much that the people around him were blessed because they needed more boats to come together and help him. But it's what you do with your frustration and how you attack it with faith that will lead you to the fish or the fruit in your life. I imagine Peter was frustrated. He was halfway through cleaning up his net when Jesus asked him to take it. And put the boat out again. Are you prepared to do what Jesus asks you to do, even when it's inconvenient for you, knowing that God has his best in mind for you? Because you've got to remember that God's got the best in mind for you. And so if it feels inconvenient today... Knowing, answering in faith, saying, no, I believe that Jesus will work all things together for my good. And it might feel inconvenient for me today, but I believe there is something better coming tomorrow. So I'm going to trust him in the frustration, believing that he's going to lead me to some fruit. Frustration, faith and fruit. So I've got three thoughts that I could pull out here from these three verses around what happens at the water's edge. At the water's edge. The first point is this, is that God wants to use your life. Newsflash. Like God wants to use your life. This boat, this net, they weren't just his tools. They were his life. Like they were his identity. They were his career. They were what he came from. And that was where he was going. This was his everything. He was a fisherman. That's me. Peter, fisherman. On his business card. See, in that day, if you graduated year 12, and if you didn't have what it takes to go on to university and begin to study further in the Hebrew scriptures, you would just go and take on a trade. You're a butcher or a fisherman or a farmer or, a, you know, a linen maker, or a boiler maker or a candlestick maker or, a, you know, uh, whatever it was. Uh, you would then go and jump in the trade. But, but this was Peter graduated high year 12 that's great didn't quite have what it takes to go be a, a rabbi somewhere or something like that or delve deeper into the studies of the hebrew bible and then and then he he's a fisherman because that's what his family has done but then here comes jesus who chooses his boat and not just his boat but literally his life as literally a platform to be able to speak to more people yeah. Like, Jesus is there trying to speak to more people. Side note, do you believe that God wants to, to speak to more people? Yeah. Like, there's Jesus in the crowd. Picture this. He's here on the beach. And there's, the Bible says there's people crowding around him. And he's trying to get the word out to everyone. He's got some something to say to some people. He's got some good news that he wants to share with the world. But he's he's actually confined in a crowd. And so he looks around. And he's like, who can I use to get my message out further? Like, I need something to stand on so that my words can reach more people. Mm. You better believe Jesus doesn't want to just speak to the small couple of people that could hear him. He had to get up on a boat, on a platform, on a life, on Peter's boat, on his life, and say, I want to use your life to reach more people. Don't just think the people that sitting around you right now, that's where the word is going off to. No, he wants to literally use your life, get on top and speak to more people through... You, When people just saw Peter's ship, Jesus literally saw a stage for his sermon. You know, people see things differently than how God sees them. When people just saw Peter's boat, his ship, Jesus actually saw, that could be a stage. I could stand on that and I could get this word out further. Your business. People just see a business, but God sees a billboard for blessing. People... Just see your family. But, but Jesus sees an opportunity to show forgiveness amongst one another. You might just see your finances, but God sees it as an opportunity to show how faithful he is. Yeah. Where people see your failure, this is a big one. Because we really think failure, you messed up, that's a bad thing. But Jesus doesn't just see failure as you messed up. He actually sees it as an opportunity to show people that no matter how far you go, God can turn it around that there is forgiveness found in Jesus, God wants to use your life. But the question is, are you willing to let Jesus on board? Because Peter could have just like, get off you rascal. (laughs) But will you actually allow Jesus to get on your boat, on your life in every area? Will you allow him to call the shots and to use your life as his Stage. It's only when you let go of that thing, you'll actually begin to see it grow. And you'll be actually begin to see it grow into all that God destined it to be. See, Jesus had a bigger plan for Peter, and it wasn't to be a fisherman. It was to be a fisher of men. In other words, I'm going to use your life to reach people uh, with the gospel. I'm going to use your life, Peter, to actually change the course of history. But if, but if Peter just decided, I'm just going to do my fisherman thing and you can buzz off, He would have never experienced all that God had planned. Sow your life into Christ. Let me try and explain this point in another way by switching analogies from fishing to farming. Fishing to farming. So there's a scripture and Jesus is talking and he says this. It's found in John 12 and 24. It says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. I think you definitely missed that and that's okay. Listen, there is something happens that when the seed falls to the ground and is planted and it dies, it's gone. It's dead. Your life, your boat is now it's no longer yours. Jesus, there's my boat. Unless it falls to the ground and is planted and it dies, it, it remains a single seed. Jesus is speaking here and he says, but if it dies, but by its death, it will produce many new seeds, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Who's excited to see some new lives change? Who's excited to see a new season of our church where we're seeing new people come to know Christ? New lives. Side note, the seed is planted. It is not buried. Jesus, unless a seed falls to the ground and is planted. There's a difference between planted and buried. Doesn't it, it often looks the same? But there's a difference between planted and buried. When you bury something, you're not expecting it to come back, unless it's a zombie apocalypse. Like you, when 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 no, I'm a youth pastor, forgive me. And so when you, when something is planted, you're not uh, buried. You're not expecting it to come back. But when you bury when you plant something. You're, you plant it today with the faith that in the future, you're going to see it again in a different form. I'll say that one more time because I feel like I didn't even fully get that. When you plant it today, you believe in faith that you're going to see it in the future in a different form. What you plant today, you will, you will harvest tomorrow. And we're coming around our spring offering at the moment as a church. Can I encourage you? You're not burying anything. Yeah. You are planting. Yeah. We're believing that God is on the move. The question that God has posed to Pastor Julian our church is, how, are you ready to be buried? No. no. Are you ready to be planted? Yes. Are you ready to be planted? Buried and planted, they look similar to start off with. It goes down into the ground. There's no sign of reward. There's no sign of anything coming. Everything looks the same. There's a bit of pain because you've lost something. I've <laughs> got a seed and I'm planting it, whether that's time, energy, emotion, finances, your physical, whatever it is. I've planted that and there's a bit of pain because it's fallen to the ground and it's died. I don't have it anymore. And it feels like have I just buried this to see no form in the future? But the difference is you have to have the faith to believe that what is coming is greater than what you've just planted. You've got a seed and it looks similar. You've got a seed and it goes down, planted into the ground. It goes out of sight, planted. Planted in the ground. But I encourage you, when we come together, and I'm going to bounce this to your, your, your other parts of your life in a second, but I specifically want to talk about our spring offering. When you give on December 1st or any time, any time you give at church, financially I'm talking, don't see it as I'm just bearing the seed and there it goes, gone forever there like no but when you put it in i know it looks like it's gone and i know it looks like it's disappeared and i know it looks like it hurts a little and it does and it should that's good but but believe that it's not buried it's planted and then that thing is going to sprout up again sometime in your future believing that god was actually going to cause that thing to come up it might go in as money but it's going to come out as new souls It might go in as a painful giving of generosity, but it's going to come out as increased blessing in your life. Come on, we've got to be a church that says we're ready to be planted. We believe in that what we see now will come back to, to, to harvest. Where there is no investment, there can be no return. Where there is no seed time, there will be no harvest time. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no reward. If I went down to the bank right now and I went into um, St. George and I went in there and I said, "Hi, I'd like to withdraw, they'd be like, Kieran, that's great, but you don't even have an account here. Like, I know you've got a need, like I know you need something right now, but I can't bless, I can't give something to you just based on your need. There needs to be an investment. There needs to be something put in. We as a family need to put into what God is doing, believing that what He's going to do in the future is actually going to expand. How does this apply to your direct life? Everywhere. Everywhere. When you invest into marriage, it's going to produce something in another form in the future. Right now, Bethany and I, we've got a four-year-old. And that's uh, fun. <laughs> and right now, I feel like I'm battling this for myself right now. Because I'm believing that he's one day going to be not a naughty boy. <laughs> that he's going to be a man of God. But today, right now, today, every night, Bethany and I, we're believing. And, and, and at times it feels like we're burying our, our, um, burying our prayers for him. We're burying the discipline. Oh, it's not doing anything. We're burying that time where we open the Bible and teach him about Jesus. And we're teaching him to give him the offering. And, and, we're, and sometimes, some days, it feels like I'm just burying this seed. But I have the faith to believe that what I'm planting into him today is going to sprout in the future as a man of God doing things for Jesus. Amen. And I might not see it today or tomorrow or please, Jesus, the next day would be great. But, but I'm believing that what I've sown today into his life, I'm going to see sprout in the future in the form of a young man passionately serving Jesus in whatever area he wants to do. Like I'm believing, and it's the same with everything, single singles. How you invest into your singleness, developing who you are, growing yourself, planting. Uh, uh, stakes around you. You put your seed down, and you and, and you're planted, and you're saying, "I'm investing into being a man or a woman, woman of God." Right now, you better believe that's not just bearing. Oh, I'm not going out partying to meet someone, or I'm not. Doing. No, believe in that. I'm being planted, and I'm investing in myself today. Believing, hallelujah, that there's going to be a form that that's going to come again in the future in the form of a godly husband or wife. Like if you invest in yourself today, that's going to see some results in the future. Yeah, yeah. But if you just ignore it today and be like, well, I'm just going to single life and just live how you want, not invest, not be planted, not open up the scriptures, not expect God for the best for your life. Yeah, that's
1: right. mm. Comes
0: time forget get a husband. You're like, well, you've gotten you've not sown into yourself. You want a man of God, but you're not a man, of, a woman of God. Anyway, OK, <laughs> we're well, moving on. God. Wants to use your life. Friendships. It's the same with friendships. You invest in friendships. You're going to see a return. You invest in your work. You work hard at your job. We all know this. But it's the principle of the Bible. If you would work hard and invest, you will see fruit in your life. So back to our story. Jesus is asking Peter, will you sow? I'm mixing fishing and farming now. Will you sow your boat, your life, your source of income? And identity, two big things, income identity. Yeah. Will you sow those two things that are all wrapped up into this boat for you, Peter? Not for you guys, unless you're a fisherman. Would you sow that into my ministry so that I can reach more people? I, no, it's not, you're not going to get anything out of this. Well, you will down the track, but there's nothing immediate for you right now. And Peter had to decide, would he play it safe? And remain a fisherman forever and totally miss all that God had destined for him? Or would he take that step of faith? You might say, Kieran, that's great. But uh, Jesus is kind of the king. And, you know, he's pure and everything. And he, like, is, like, perfect. And my boat and my nets aren't exactly tip-top shape. Like Peter, when we pick up in the story, what's he doing? He's cleaning his nets. There's brokenness. There's fish chunks. There's seaweed. There's tears in it. There's places where it, he's cleaning and he's repairing. He's trying to get it sorted out. And, and you might be saying, Kira, my life isn't exactly all together. Shouldn't I like wait until I've cleaned my nets and then Jesus, let's go, let's do it. But what does Jesus do? He says, if he had waited, sorry, if, if, if Peter had just waited for, for himself to get his stuff together and then go and follow Jesus, he would have been waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. My point number two is this, is that God wants to use you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like now. Warts, Amen. issues, addictions, Amen. painful points broken relationship. He wants to use you right now. But if you're just sitting there saying, well, that's great. And I'm going to do that. Yes, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to just wait until I get this thing sorted out over here and my finances in order and this relation restored and this addiction kicked and I'm just going to get all this sort of nailed down and then let's go, Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're waiting for that to happen, you're going to be waiting a long, 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 long time before you actually make the decision. Because when you follow him, he fixes you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You're trying to get the fixing before the following, but you get fixed when you follow. Yeah. During the walk, he heals and he restores and he lifts up. and he... Like Peter wasn't a perfect man. You're not a perfect man. Mm-hmm. But God yeah. covers us with his grace. And he says, if you would follow me, I will fix you. I like to have things figured out before I start things. Like I'm the type of person that I need to have like my shoes set in the morning, and if I'm planning on doing a morning routine or something, I've got to get the coffee out, thing there, shoes there, this there, and the the thing I'm worst at is the kitchen, okay? I cannot start cooking unless that kitchen and all its dishes are clean. Like, anyone else with me? Or are you the other type of person that I live with, that, uh, that just, we'll just do, you know, grace on top of grace on top of grace. It's just mess on top of mess on top of mess in the kitchen only. Okay. That's because she knows that's my area to clean. So she just goes free for all. It's all good. Love her. And so I'm the type of person that I've got to have it all figured out, right? It's got to be clean. Benches got to be white. wiped. Things got to be clean. I've got to, you know, have the fridge, clean. everything that to be good. Then I can start cooking my toast. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be perfect. And that's fine for the kitchen, but it doesn't apply when following Christ. God, yeah. It doesn't apply. Don't wait till you've got everything sorted out. Your business in order. Your marriage worked out. Your, no, just, just start following him today and see him move in the future. He's there. Peter caught up trying to clean his own net, his own life. And that he almost misses Jesus because of this. But in the end, Peter gave Jesus' word more authority than his own experience. He gave, come, let's go. We're going to do something great together, he says. And Peter gives Jesus' word more authority than his own experience. One word from him is greater than anything. And so don't think you're better or worse than anyone else. Well, I've got my life sort of together more than that, guys. God will use everyone. At the end of the day, we're all broken. We're all in the same place and we all need the same grace. The the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There is no one up here and no one down here. God applies his grace to all and whoever would want it. No matter if you're this much of a sinner or this much of a sinner. It doesn't matter where you are. The grace of God levels us all and covers us all. And so don't wait for your life to get worked out. I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be a youth pastor if I waited to get my life worked out before answering the call of God. And you wouldn't be where you are unless you decided, I'm going to let God fix me as I follow him. God wants to use you now. Someone say now. 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 My third thought about at the water is this, that God wants to partner with you. God wants to partner with you. Think about this, Jesus didn't need Peter or his stinking boat. No, like, think about it. Uh, Jesus created the tree that the boat was made out of and the water that it sat on. He asked him, can I use your boat? Can you push me out? You realize a few chapters later, Jesus walks on water. <laughs> if I was Jesus, I'd be just like, the boat, that's great. Oh. Like... <laughs> Now they will believe me. How much easier is it to believe someone when they're walking on water than standing on a boat? But for some reason, Jesus seems it more valuable to partner with people than to go over their heads and just do it himself. This is the God we serve. He wants to partner with you. He decided that he would make his burden easy and his yoke light. What's a yoke? It's an egg yoke, don't you know? No, I'm just kidding. So a yoke is like, um, it's a farming tool that they would use to put two oxen together to level them up. So it's a partnering tool. His yoke is easy. In other words, you're partner with him, but he's going to do all the heavy lifting because he's God and you are not. But God wants to partner with you. What is it that he wants to partner with you on? There's some big things that part of our our church. He wants to partner with us as a church to expand our vision and to see God move in ways we haven't seen, and to see people saved, and and to see um, you know the the arts transformed, and young people transformed, and the mission field absolutely annihilated with the presence of God. Like we, we're, God's called us to do stuff and be things, but He needs partners. Yeah. He wants us to do it together yeah. today, and I'll get the the those up. Today, oh, just the keys is fine, sorry. Today, the title of the message is, you are at the water's edge, at the water's edge. Our church is at the water's edge, and I really feel like this message is not just a nice little something I just like picked out. I'm, I'm really praying that it's prophetic to our church in that we're at the water's edge, We're at the water's edge. The water's edge is a place of transition. The water's edge is a place where you're not on the land and playing it safe, but you're not in the deep over your head just yet. You're at the water's edge. Our church is in a moment where we need to decide, do we let God use our life individually? Do we let God use our life right now? Like in the next three weeks would be great. (laughs) Do we let God partner with us? At the water's edge is a place of transition. I think about Moses on the edge of the Red Sea. In front of him, an impossible pass. Behind him, a raging army of um, Egyptians ready to annihilate him and all of God's people and God's plans for the rest of And at the water's edge... In a moment of possibly frustration and a little bit of fear, Moses stands and he says, he puts his staff in the water and sees just what Pastor just said, the seas split. It's a moment of transition. I think about Jesus at the water's edge in Jordan where he approaches John the Baptist and says, you think, you think, I'm baptizing you, bro. You're baptizing me. It's like Raymond. Oh, no, 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 mind. Sorry. And when Jesus is in this moment where he's going from being an obscure dude who's roaming around Nazareth to being the Messiah stepping into his calling and it's at the water's edge where he says to John the Baptist... Let's do this. And from that moment on, he starts his ministry. It's a place of transition at the water's edge. Can you feel it on your toes? Can you hear Jesus over there speaking and calling out to people? Are you hearing him say to you, can I partner with you, church? Can I partner with you, person? Can I partner with you, married couple? Can I partner with you, single person? Can I partner with you, Good News Company, to... To see something happen, I've got a message that I want to see reach to more and more people. And I can't do it right where I'm at. But would you let your seed die so that it can produce a harvest of new lives?